and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Move Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campy Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around to talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. We've got Robert Meyer Burnett in here joining you guys in the live chat. Ray Orr is back there. Jonathan Boyko <laughs> is running the show. And of course, we've got Alu Moana over there as well. And we've got you guys here. Listen, we got a ton of stuff to talk about, so let's not waste any time and jump right into it, shall we, with an off-the-top number one. All right, I am a fan of the Shrek films. I like them. Not all of them, but but I'm, Shrek 2 is my favorite. Shrek 2 is actually my favorite one out of the group. But one of the characters I really liked in Shrek was Puss in Boots. Not a huge Puss in Boots guy in Puss in Boots' own movies. Mm. Admittedly, it has its moments, though. The Puss in Boots movies have had their moments. But, you know, I, I like Puss in Boots more kind of in the Shrek films than in the Puss in Boots films. So there is a new Puss in Boots movie coming out and it's called Puss in Boots The Last Wish and a new trailer for Puss in Boots The Last Wish just came out and I gotta tell you I loved this trailer mm -hmm. I loved it I, I was I, and I say that as not a huge Puss in Boots guy but I'll tell you what it made me laugh it had several good moments in there of laughing. It did the one little callback to the a cat that goes, Woo, which was actually one of the big funny moments of one of the previous films. Hearing Antonio's voice. Antonio is, the, is Puss in Boots. Antonio doing the voice of Puss in Boots is absolute perfection. I absolutely loved it. The gags about him retiring, going like standing on the toilet and pissing in the toilet. And then when they bring him into the... To the kitty learner, he says, this is where dignity goes to die. I'm like, okay. I was literally laughing out loud watching this thing. So look, I don't know if this movie's going to be any good. I, 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 We've seen lots of great trailers to bad movies. But we are just talking about the trailer right now. And, and I got, this trailer's a winner for me. I really enjoyed it. Rob, you saw it. I don't think you're the biggest Puss in Boots guy either. What no. do you think about the trailer? Well, first of all, I love Antonio Banderas. And I thought this trailer was great. I I love the premise of this movie. I, when we, the first trailer dropped, we talked about it. I like the idea behind it. But like you, this trailer's gold. I mean, everything about this trailer. Look, the, I, I please don't be one of these trailers where you put all the funny gags in the trailer. I hate that. I feel it's false advertising, but whatever. You got my dollars. I will go see this in the theater. I thought it was, first of all, Antonio Banderas, his voice acting is on fire in this trailer. I mean, he's great. And I understand he's just standing in a booth talking into a microphone. But it's, 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 I kind of want, I hope somebody shot some behind the scenes of it. Because I want to see, does he, does he gesticulate? Does he hold a sword just to help him get into the character? I mean, this, this movie looks great. And plus, John, I'm a cat lover. Ugh. I'm a cat lover. Me too. Uh, I love cats. And uh, I loved seeing a lot of cats. There's a lot baby. of cats in this trailer. I hope he slays many cats. No. And many villainous cats. Actually, one of the things I really, really dug, it looks like Goldilocks is going to be like one of the antagonists of the film. Yeah. I love that interpretation, which again is very true to the Shrek roots. Right. But that interpretation, like she's like, like riding these three monstrous bears. And like, I love that. And then the big bad wolf with his like sickles at the end. That's great. I, I love this. Alu, you had a chance to watch the trailer. 
Are you a Puss in Boots person? But what do you think about the trailer? I'm not a huge Puss in Boots person, but I'm a big Shrek person. Not as much as Taylor, but I, I do love me some Shrek. Um, but yeah, it looks really, really fun, actually. Like, you know, it's, it's not a lot of times you get something that's really derivative that looks really fun and makes you actually want to go back and see more of this kind of derivative character. But yeah, I think it'll be a fun time. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What did you think about the Puss in Boots trailer? Maybe you're like me and you're really not much of a Puss in Boots person, but I personally thought the trailer was great. I'm actually really kind of interested in seeing the film now. How did you feel about it? Like it, love it, hate it, whatever. Jump down to the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's do another off the top and we're going to stay in the realm of Selma Hayek trailers. Because, you know, speaking of films that are not really don't really have me as their target demographic. Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about Magic Mike. My wife once bought a Magic Mike. It's one of the last pieces of physical media that was ever bought in my house. Ugh, bought like a Magic Mike Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. <laughs> and they had a feature on the DVD or the Blu-ray where it just played the dance, the stripper moments. That's all it did. It just played in one big long sequence, all the stripper moments. So Anne, of course, invited a couple of her friends to come over. They had some cheese and wine and they sat down and just watched it on loop a number of times. Not really targeting for me, but you know what? Actually, the Magic Mike movies aren't bad. I don't think they're bad and I'm not even the target audience, but you know, I'm not a big Magic Mike fan. Well, you'd be forgiven if you didn't even realize they were making another Magic Mike movie. But the trailer for Magic Mike's Last Dance actually came out today it is now out and online and available for you to watch right now in all of its glory and i gotta tell you while i love the puss in boots trailer i found this one dull i found this trailer dull i found it had no like oomph moment other than at the end when he says to the woman yeah and i got you off with a warning or something like that like that that was kind of a funny line I, I like the idea of the romance with him and Selma Hayek. That looks like it could be pretty cool. It's missing its cast of characters, though. Like, one of the positive things about Magic Mike was it always had this huge, great ensemble, you know, eccentric cast of characters. I really felt you missing from... Uh, I really felt that missing from this. A at any rate, yeah, I thought it was cool. They're doing Magic Mike. And I am a Channing Tatum fan. I like Channing Tatum a lot. I used to think he was the worst, worst actor in Hollywood, but he's gotten a lot better. And now I'm a big fan of his. And I don't know this. And I, I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. It was not made for me, mm -hmm. uh, but I've seen lots of trailers for movies that weren't made for me that I still think are great. And I, for me, this wasn't it. Rob, you feel very differently about this trailer. What did you think about it? Okay. First of all, I'm going to say something. I'm going to preface this. And I, I, I don't know if this is going to do, do me any good. <laughs> or if I'm going to be pilloried for rest of time on the internet because of this. I saw Sylvester Stallone's masterful sequel to, Staying Al uh, to Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive, four times in the theater. Just want you to know. I love show business, dancing movies, even if they're about male strippers. This trailer had me at the get. Channing Tatum seduces Selma Hayek, who's substantially older than he is. First of all, Selma Hayek, is one of the most beautiful women in the world. She can seduce any man of any age. I mean, she, she played wants. Satanica Pandemonia in in uh, in Robert Rodriguez's great movie uh, with Don't uh, No uh, Dustal from Dustal Dawn. Dustal Dawn. Yep. One of the one of the sexiest turns ever in any film. 
And even now, 25 years on, she has lost none of her charm. And watching him seduce, that's like wish fulfillment 101. And then it just goes on. It's got, he's there. they go to London together. They're going to put on a big show. It's all about show business. This goes to the top of my list as most eagerly awaited film of 2023. <laughs> Laugh all you want, John. Laugh all you want. I thought this looked great. It's Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. One of our great yeah. directors. I like him. I mean, the man who directed Aaron Brockovich in Traffic and Sex, Lies, and Videotape and the original Magic Mike is coming back to reclaim his throne. This looks to me like the return of the king of the Magic Mike franchise, John. And I am there for it. At least you didn't call it the Citizen Kane of the Magic Mike franchise. How has it come? To, now for wrath, now for ruin, and a dawn of Mike Triple X. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. I Magic thought we Mike. saw this movie already during the pandemic. I thought it was called Sing 2. I mean, did, come on. Did did this not look just like Sing 2? I mean, just Looks better. Much, not as many abs stripping. in uh, Sing 2. Yeah, not as many abs. Man, in I can't two. wait. Can't wait. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Did you have a chance to see the new trailer, the first trailer for the third Magic Mike film, Magic Mike's Last Dance? If so, what did you think? Were you like me and thought it was kind of a dull bore? Were you like Rob, where you thought this is going to be the masterpiece of the ages? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you guys thought about it, jump down in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. You know, one of the big debates in movie fan circles for a while, especially got amplified when the pandemic was going on, was the place of streaming in the movie world. Uh, more specifically, the place of both theatrical exhibition and streaming and where does one fit? You had Warner Brothers pull the ass idiot move of deciding to pull all their films from theatrical release and just dump them all on streaming. You saw other places and studios trying to wrestle with which is the way to go, and they've tried different hybrids of it. We saw Disney release films theatrically. We saw Disney release films in theaters and on streaming. We saw them relegate Pixar films like uh, Turning Red, which is one of the biggest boneheaded moves of Bob Chapek's biggest boneheaded reign of CEO of Disney and a long time dumping that thing on stream. But we see, but even Paramount has played around with it. Universal has played around with it. Everybody's trying to figure that out. Now, one of the things that Robert Meyer Burnett and I have both been saying for a long time, and I think a lot of you guys have been saying the exact same thing, is that when will these studios understand it's not an either or? It's not theatrical or streaming. If you want your movie to do well on streaming... It will do better on streaming if you give it a theatrical release first. It's not either or. It's both and. You will have a bigger impact. Your streaming will do better if you invest in theatrical releasing. And we've been saying that forever. And now, according to a, a new article and interview in Deadline, Warner Brothers seems to be the studio that gets that. Because get this, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav he said this, talking about theatrical releases. He says this, I've seen the data. A movie that opens in theaters perform five times better as opposed to when it goes directly to streaming. A movie that opens in theaters performs five times as well as when it goes directly to, to streaming. Uh, direct to streaming was just a way to drive subscribers to drive up share price. Subscribers today are like clicks in the 90s. People were running around buying companies and aggregating clicks. So that's been one of the things that David Zaslav, now this is no secret, this is nothing new. David Zaslav has kind of hinted before on, on shareholder meetings 
saying that, yeah, we believe that this whole idea of making big budget movies that you put directly on streaming is a fool's errand. It's an idiot's game with right. zero sum. He's absolutely right about that. He's a thousand percent right about that. And now that he's got his bean counters coming to him, it's like, yeah, well, here are the numbers. We actually got the numbers. When we put a movie in the theaters first and make a bunch of money and then put it on streaming, the movies do better than if we just put them on streaming in the first place. The streaming numbers are better. So it's like, I, I understand these studios and these companies wanting to bolster their streaming service. I get that. But the way to booster your streaming service is to put these things out there. And now we've got a head of a studio that seems to get that, embraces it, and is actually acting on that. And that's why I've said for a while, like, listen, Warner Brothers Discovery is having a stock slump right now. And I predict, I said this on the show a while ago, that it's going to get worse. I think their stocks is going to continue to drop for a while. I completely do. But three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, you're going to find because of the foresight that this company has now, this company is going to be in a better position than most other studios three or four years from now because of the groundwork they're doing now. And it's this type of philosophy that is going to bring it home for them. Anyway, Rob, you're the one who pointed this article out to me. So what are the highlights of this for you? Well, I think just that uh, you have a studio. That was the thing that struck me the most is the five times thing. I read that. I'm like, you got to you got to read this article. John, I worked for a company in the early 90s called Full Moon Entertainment, and our business was to make direct to video movies. That was the that was the model direct to video films that weren't going theatrical. We made them for a price. You know, you made them for a certain amount of money. You knew that you didn't have to put as much money into a theatrical release because it's going to the home market. So there were economic benefits to that. Direct to streaming movies are like direct to video movies. And yet the mistake they make is they spend $200 million on them and expect to have some kind of a different result. A direct, it's like people, people call Netflix movies. Netflix movies are movies made by Netflix to go. To, they're like direct to video movies. Yeah. They don't think of them as real. You know, in, in, in people's minds, a movie still has to have, because it, it, you put something in a movie theater, that's the end-all, be-all of where a film should be. And also, it creates awareness. Whether people are aware of it or not, they've heard of it. If you're, if you're interested in movies, people said, oh, I went and saw this. You know it came out theatrically. And here's the difference. Here's what they're trying to avoid. They want to avoid spending the marketing dollars. That's where the yeah. money yeah. that's that's where the money is being spent like you know you make a 200 million dollar movie. Well, if you're going to make a 200 million dollar movie and put it out theatrically, that's another 100 million dollars you have to spend on some global marketing campaign otherwise it's not worth it. But the thing is, I would ask and David Zaslav knows this, a 200 million dollar movie, a a direct to video, direct to streaming movie has no difference from a Christmas movie that Netflix is putting out or a Hallmark. Right. There's no difference. Yeah. No one sits there and goes, oh, I'm going to watch this movie because they spent Red Notice, $200 million. The Gray Man, $220 million. That's $400 million. It might as well be $10 million. It doesn't matter. If a movie has not come out theatrically, it's not a real movie. It's a made-for-TV movie. It's a direct-to-video movie. You got to see it in a theater or you have to know it was in a theater. I know it's weird, but even the approach that filmmakers take, knowing they're making a direct-to-video movie, and I'm sorry, I can't prove this, but you don't have to work as hard. Mm. You know, you don't have to work as hard. If it's direct-to-streaming, 
And I'm trying to think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody in the room, correct correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I'm trying to think of one, because maybe even I've got a couple, I'm just not thinking of them, but I cannot think of one big budget. Like, when you're talking about Gray Man, or you're talking about Red Notice, Ryan Reynolds, I love you, mm, Red Notice. Mm. Um, but when you're talking about Red Notice, or you're talking about Gray Man, or like these big... Six Underground. Six Underground was another one that was not so good. I mean, I mean, I just can't think of a, of a really good big budget film that was made direct for streaming. I can't think of one. I'll tell you something. Chris Pratt one on the, the Chris oh. Pratt. Oh, oh, oh it's about like, the alien invasion, the yeah, time yeah, travel. I, like that I didn't mind that yeah, one. Like that. Yes, that is, that's one. What was the but, name uh, of that one again? Tomorrow War. Tomorrow War. But I think I that was, that one, I think yeah. that was originally made for theatrical distribution. And you know what? I think uh, you're right about that. Yeah. I think it was. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, this is just a theory. In The Gray Man, there is a plane sequence, a fight sequence in a plane that's going down. Beautifully done. There's no soul in that sequence. I don't feel any wit or verve. It looks like the Russo brothers, it was completely designed by the previous department. And as a previous thing, it's fine. Look at how cool this is going to be. There's no emotional content in it at all. I never believed that there was any real peril in it. Beautifully shot, great effects, looks terrific, soulless. Because they didn't take the time to put what you would have done in a theatrical movie which is add emotion to the action scene because that would have taken more time. Uh, by the way, some people in the live chat are pointing out another one Pray. that I liked. Uh, it wasn't as huge of a budget, but it's another Ryan Reynolds was, Adam Project. <clears throat> That's another one I, I I didn't mind at all. I kind of liked Adam Project. But I mean, the what, number... Was that done for direct video though? I mean, direct I think streaming? It, I think it was, yeah. I think okay. that one was. But here's the thing. Like Netflix, I'd say 92 out of every 100 of the Netflix original movies are garbage. Like they're just absolute garbage, not even worth talking about. Some of them are okay. Every once in a while you get a real gem like uh, Old Guard or something like that. Every once in a while, but it's so rare. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this statement? Warner Brothers saying that the data tells them that movies that go theatrical first will do five times better on streaming than if they go direct to streaming. They have marketing dollars behind them, and that's what they're trying to avoid how to spend because if you look at the marketing, take a year's worth of marketing for a major studio. That's a lot of yep. money. And they're just trying to skip it. And they're just, and, and they look, I get it. They think by going direct streaming, they're going to increase their subscriber base. But the data is showing if you put in theaters and then say, now the home for that movie, everybody, like when I think they're going to say it's around Christmas, when Top Gun Maverick comes to Paramount Plus, they're going to enjoy a subscriber uptick that will far exceed what they would have had as, as a subscriber uptake if they had just taken Top Gun Maverick and just put it directly to Paramount Plus without putting it in theaters first. I would offer this too. And again, this is a complete psychological. You look at Barbarian and you look at Smile. Those are first-time directors. They're putting everything they have. They're trying to make, even though Barbarian, 4.5 million spent, Smile, 17 million bucks. Those movies substantially performed theatrically. Barbarian, 40 million on a 4.5 million spend, and they had a great marketing campaign. And then you had Smile, another great marketing campaign, $200 million worldwide, and it's still making money. Yep. And now they're promoting Smile coming out on digital, and it's going to do way better now on way digital. Way better than if it had gone straight to video. Anyway, guys, how do you guys feel about this? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys, with all that down, we're going to take a second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's video, making my under areas feel so smooth and nice, our friends at MeUndies.
The holidays are officially upon us and it's time to start celebrating. Do your thing and holiday your way with Me Undies because it's the most wonderful time of the year to try Me Undies because they're currently offering a very merry deal. Get 20% off your first purchase with free standard shipping and free returns when you go to meundies.com/campia. Guys, you know I've been wearing Me Undies for a while now because I used to be like everybody else. I would go to the big store, buy the biggest box of the most generic underwear and I thought that was good enough. But ever since I started Me Undies and started wearing wearing the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn in my life. I swear on this Christmas season, I will never go back. So get your holiday shopping finished early and start making time for yourself with the new MeUndies Holiday Collection. Their undies, long underwear, and sleepwear are made out of the softest, most supple fabric you've ever felt and are guaranteed to bring you comfort and joy to all of your loved ones. Shop their classic plaid prints for a traditional, picture-perfect style or get festive with their adventurous limited-edition sweater prints. Available in sizes extra small, all the way through 4XL, MeUndies has what you need to make all of your favorite people smile this holiday season all in one convenient place. So to get 20% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com Campia. And thank you to our friends at MeUndies for giving me the most comfortable underwear I've ever worn and for being a sponsor of the John Campia Show. Okay, guys, with that down, Alou, what do we got up next? Next up, we've got our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. To have your voice heard on the show and have your question answered, give us a call at 951-268-4259. Today's Mint Mobile question comes to us from Brianna, who's asking about the Eternals. Hello, John and friends. My name's Brianna. I just had a theory. What if Eternals took place in a different universe from the one that we normally follow within the multiverse? So it was taking place in a universe that was maybe like adjacent or something like that, but not within the same exact universe. I think that would explain why we don't hear much about the Celestials in any of the other MCU timeline shows and movies. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Brianna. And like for those of you who might be thinking, wait a minute. What do you mean your theory, Brianna? Rob was just talking about this mm-hmm. yesterday. I just let everybody know that actually that call came in prior to yesterday's show. So full credit to Brianna for that. All right. So this brings up the reason I selected this one was because it, it allows us an opportunity to get back to a, another conversation we had started before the other day. For those you didn't hear, Rob had this really interesting theory that I actually first brought up like a month ago. Yeah. This really interesting theory about phase four that what if, All the movies in Phase 4 happen in a different multiverse where Shang-Chi did not happen in the same universe as the Eternals and the Eternals didn't happen in the same universe as uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and, and, and so on and so forth, right? And that is a really interesting thing because it does a couple of things. Number one, it explains why you don't feel a big connective you know, storyline going on in the movies yet, but Kevin Feige insists that we will see it very, very soon. I have a feeling Ant-Man's going to be the movie that really does that. Yep. Ant-Man's going to be the one that shows how all the all, all the strings tie together. So, I and, and this new era, whereas the first three phases were known as the Infinity Saga, this era they are referring to as the Multiverse Saga, right? So that theory that Rob had ties very well into those sorts of ideas. Why haven't we heard a lot about each other? All that kind of stuff. Now, I love the theory. I don't think it's what they're doing, but I love the theory. Here's why, I've already talked about why I love the theory. Here's why I don't think it's what they're doing though. 
Even if you just look at Eternals, everything that is referenced in Eternals is absolutely consistent with what, I don't even know what to call, I guess you call it the 616. I can, you multiverse stuff is stupid shit, okay? <laughs> just let me, I hate multiverse stuff. It's lazy, 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 lazy storytelling. Anyway, it's like, how can we do whatever we want with being no consequences to our characters? Multiverse. Anyway, okay. that being said, when you're watching Eternals, there's a lot of stuff talked about and said and referenced that is absolutely in line and in continuation with what we understand in our 616 main world of the MCU. For instance, that one scene that was also in the uh, in the trailer where the Eternals are all sitting down having dinner and they're talking about, well, you know, the Avengers, Steve Rogers isn't there anymore. Captain America isn't there anymore. Who's going to lead the Avengers? And of course, Icarus says, I'll lead them and all that kind of stuff. All that completely consistent with what we understand about the MCU. And there's several other points in that movie as well that while we don't see other Avengers and while we don't see those other things, they are there and they are mentioned, they are referenced. Now, does that exclude the possibility? Well, in their multiverse, they're... Their Avengers also lost Captain America and Steve Rogers. Uh, yeah, you could say that. that That's a possibility. But everything has been consistent. When you look at something like Shang-Chi, um, when you go to the post credit scene of Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi is talking to Bruce, who has got the arm sling that he got as a result of Endgame in his human form, like we saw in She-Hulk. We got Wong there doing Wong things. Captain Marvel there... Not the Captain Marvel we saw in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but our Captain Marvel, all kind of stuff. So while the connective tissue has been, let's call it um, slight, it has been there and has been fairly clear. Even when you go into Black Widow, like all the stuff that's talked about in Black Widow is completely in line with our understanding of the reality there. So while I love the theory that each one of these projects, that WandaVision, that Ms. Marvel, that all this happened in their all individual universes. I love that theory, and I will not die of shock if we find out this is what Kevin Feige is doing. Because again, Ant-Man's coming up, and I think all the questions are going to be answered in Ant-Man. I, I still think this is all happening in our main prime world for now. But Rob, as at least from my perspective, the originator of this theory, let's start small with what Brianna was talking about with Eternals. What do you think about the idea that Eternals happen in a different universe and then kind of expand that out to why you think it might be true of the entire MCU Phase 4? Well, with Eternals, we don't see much of the rest of the MCU. For instance, yeah. the Chitauri invasion of New York. You know, where were they? If the if the Eternals were on Earth... But they did explain it. They did talk about uh, it and reference it, right? Sure, they, but, but I, I just think, look... I believe that after Endgame, as soon as they went in, the Avengers went into the quantum realm, borrowed Infinity Stones, things started to happen. We just didn't know it yet. They haven't shown it to us. I don't know what all the connective tissue is. It started out with J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man Far From Home. Hmm. When he shows up at the end of that movie, the, quanta, the, the fracture has happened. It's already occurred. Spider-Man No Way Home, obviously. The Ralph... Boner thing. That's not Ralph Boner. That's freaking Quicksilver. They haven't explained where, because you can't show us, then later show us Xavier from the same universe. I mean, from the Marvel, 
the, all of this stuff, they've been doing stuff all along. And while, yeah, people are, well, they mentioned the Celestials in in uh, She-Hulk. And they showed up in Thor, Love, and Thunder. And, and they, Well, in Thor, Love, and Thunder, because they, they can be out in space, yeah. you know, and that I think all of these things, what has happened, Loki showed us literally the fractioning of all of this stuff. Yeah, the branching out of all, all of it. Things, and yeah. I think it, it, it began in Endgame. We just didn't know it. When they went into the quantum realm and all that, whatever these, and we're going to find out in quantum mania, they're going to set up whatever. It's all going to end with Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. We just haven't been aware of it. Mm. And, but they keep adding to these things because why is, why is J. Jonah Jameson, why is J.K. Simmons from the, that was the first time we saw, oh my God, from the Spider-Man movies from Sony. We saw Venom at the end of Venom dropping a little symbiote juice, you know, in our universe shows up for a minute. There's there's they've been doing this the whole time. And I think there's things that we don't even know yet that they've showed us that we just didn't realize what we were seeing. Spider-Man No Way Home. Who are all those people on the edges of the, you know, uh, uh, what happened there? I think there's a lot going on. And they I mean, Feige said it's called a multiverse saga. You guys just don't get it yet. And I think quantum mania is going to be the pivot point because if you look at Quantum Mania, if you look at the trailer, you have Scott Lang as Ant-Man who is looking at a giant version of himself. There are multiple versions of Ant-Man in the same frame in that trailer. Although that could just just been like some kind of psychedelic, you know, wacko thing. Or it's variants or, of the character. Yep, or could be. You know, and, and I'm like, hmm, because there's a convert, and I think there's, uh, 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 with Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, there's something I forgot to tell you. We're going to learn a lot. And I think it's all going to tie into Miss Marvel. It's going to tie into the Ten Rings, all of it. I think it's a combination of what both of you guys are saying. I think, I don't think each Phase 4 movie is its own universe, because that would just be a little... No, some, some are probably in our universe, yes. but we're seeing... Their things are crossing yes. over into exactly. our exactly. Well, I, I agree with that. I think like it's kind of like the thing they talked about in Stranger Things, where like you have the line and then you have the ant on one side of the line and it crawls over. I think we're seeing fragments of these multiverses, and like you said, I think Loki kind of set the stage for that. We're seeing these fragments of these multiverses bleed through each other. Here's but, uh, my fear. Here's my fear. If while well, I love the theory, if they did do something like that, my fear is this is that now I was just a child and some of you were adults. Some of you weren't even born yet. I was a kid, but my fear is what they, they could be setting up. If the theory works out is a, what was the, was it Dallas or was it another show? Dallas. It's all a dream. When the guy wakes up at this end of the season, realized that entire yeah, season had that. been a dream. That's saying elsewhere. No, no, well, no, the no, whole no, show no, no, was, no, that wasn't that the whole show was a dream? No, that was like Lost or something. That but, was Dallas. They did that. But my fear is, is that they do something like that. And then we find out, oh, so this movie and this movie and this movie were all just pointless. Those were just movies that happened in some alternate reality that don't really count to our MCU. Like that would be my fear. I'm not saying they're doing that. I, I'm not. I don't think that's what they're doing. I'm just saying that would be my fear. Well, the thing is, I think the thing is, all of these multiverses are real. Like, here's here's the thing about Eternals. Let's go back to the Eternals. So there are the deviants that are on Earth, these creatures. We saw one rampage through London. No other superheroes. I mean, Captain Marvel was on Earth in the 90s. S.H.I.E.L.D. never caught. Well, there was yeah, never... but it only happened in the span of about five minutes. Sure, but right? somebody, I mean, there would have been a bunch of people that saw this rampaging creature. Did S.H.I.E.L.D. not know? 
has shield has nick fury never you know there's these creatures that show up occasionally <laughs> they rampage and then there's these strange I mean, they people. just woke up out of the ice though don't forget that they well, just woke up but they've been here for thousands and thousands of years wouldn't there be a record of the Eternals? We saw the Eternals battling deviants on the beach in front of primitive tribes. Wouldn't they have drawn pictures, pictograms of the battles the Eternals had against the deviants? No record of that. So I think that that would be it because, and what they're going to do is, I only go by stuff like Crisis on Infinite Earths. They're going to collapse the universe into one mm. and they're going to combine things. The way, that's why I think, dude, we're getting Steve Rogers back, and we're getting Tony Stark well, back. I've and we're been gonna, saying that for years. I know, but we're <laughs> going to get him back. But it's going to seem—it's all going to—it all work out. All right, guys. The question is for you: What do you think about that? I mean, Rob's not the only one that's been thinking about this. The, this idea that maybe one of the reasons why this whole phase phase four that is now in our rearview mirror, I guess, never felt as connected as it did before and some inconsistencies. Do you think that maybe this whole idea about it being a multiversal thing holds down? Maybe you think they're just being vague. Do you agree with me that Ant-Man's going to kind of reveal the answers? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we're now going to move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campus Show? Well, that's easy. You guys come up with them. Whenever you guys come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's 100% free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, hello with your raspy voice today. <laughs> Do your best. What is our first topic here today? Main topic number one comes us from Amen, who says, Greetings, Campion crew. I saw that a lot of critics and pundits just got to see Damien Chazelle's new film, Babylon. However, the first reactions on social media seem to be divisive and all over the place. Some say it's chaotic in a good way, and others say it's chaotic in a bad way. What are your thoughts, and does this affect your expectations of the film? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in. You know, it's funny, going back to the beginning of the year, going back to CinemaCon, when we were at CinemaCon, by the way, CinemaCon is only like, was December, November, or January, February, March, it's only like four months away. Oh, we're gonna be doing CinemaCon in a big way this year. That last year was a lot of fun. But coming out of last year's CinemaCon, there were two really interesting movies that to us look like, man, this looks like it could be some kind of serious, you know, some kind of serious Oscar contenders and stuff like that. One of them was Amsterdam, and we saw how that turned out. Not yeah, and we were excited for that. A giant wah, wah, that did not turn out well. The audiences didn't respond to it. The Christian responded. The box office certainly did not respond. Who would have thought if you had told me, hey, we got this movie Amsterdam with Margot Robbie and John David Washington and Oscar-winning Christian Bale and Oscar-winning uh, uh, Rami Malek and all this kind of stuff. And then you've got this low-budget little horror movie called smile and one's going to make 10 times more than the other one <laughs> i never who would have guessed that smile would have been one that made almost 10 times more than the other one so that didn't work out so but the other one one was amsterdam but the other one was babylon that looked really really good with again margot robbie uh brad pitt you know hot off his academy award win and stuff like that directed by the director of la la land and first man and you know uh, uh, what's the whiplash. whiplash thank you love that movie that's my favorite film if it was actually so that one that's going to be the oscar darling well 
They did a special screening of it, and the first reactions are all over the place. All over the place. All over the place with this. Uh, I got a couple of them here. Babylon, this comes from Clayton Davis. Right, Babylon feels like someone read Damien Chazelle the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then he said, hold my beer. High-octane, mm-hmm. cocaine-inducing trip. First half is great, likely the Internet's new favorite movie of all time. Margot Robbie and Justin Hurwitz are your stars, but not everybody felt that way. Then you got to Ryan Swain, who writes, Babylon, truly monstrous in its thudding insistence on showing the viewers, uh, on shoving the viewer's face in the muck and then claiming it's something novel or moving. Chazelle might be the most confident director in Hollywood today. Of course, he's also got some of the worst instincts out there. And as you go through the reviews, say, call them like Variety calls the reviews all over the place, and they're right. As you start going through the reactions, they are everywhere. Because a couple of the, the people are coming out and saying, this is absolutely brilliant. This is absolutely fabulously brilliant. And then some, some of the critics, including some big Chazelle fans, are saying, eh, this one ain't it. This one ain't it. Now, I want to be very be very clear and to be crystal clear on this. It's not like all of them came out and say, all oh, the reactions are all terrible. No, it's truly mixed. And truly, all, some saying it's garbage. Some saying it's Chazelle's next masterpiece. But it's clearly not a unifying movie. And to me, this is really disappointing because, like I said, coming out of CinemaCon this year, it was Amsterdam and it was Babylon. Those are the two ones to me. Like, these are going to be the Oscar darlings. Uh, this is going to be great. And it sounds like maybe they didn't nail it on the head. Rob, you had a chance to look at the reactions. What was standing out to you? Well, I, uh, this kind of d- divisive reaction excites me because what they're talking about, wallowing in the muck as opposed to showing this cocaine-fueled, I'm like, I'm in. Because there are some people that just object to that kind of thing. Like, you shouldn't show that kind of wallowing in the muck. I'm like, to me, that shows a dividing line between our culture you know, and people. So I'm like, and I love Damien Chazelle's movies. So do I. I. I mean, Whiplash, for no other reason than his command of cinematic language. Uh, the opening of La La Land, the dance, the da- the one-shot dance move in the on the freeway, he's a very, and, and the way he uses music and the way he works with Justin Hurwitz with the score of these things, that alone, the, the, the techniques, and look, he went from doing La La Land and, and Whiplash to doing First Man, which is a very somber look at neil armstrong and the first moon landing and very at the end, ambitious movie by the very way. ambitious which totally different i loved it i think he's one of the great voices of modern cinema right now american cinema he's a real director he's a he's a visionary he's an auteur so i think whatever we're going to get is going to be special and worth seeing it will add to the tapestry of our cinematic understanding. Now, it doesn't way. concern you at all that like some of these critics who are very very big damien chazelle guys that some of them are coming out and also saying this was not good. No, no, I mean it doesn't because it it, it makes me believe that this movie is really interesting. Mm. And if for nothing else, yeah, then that that's that turns me on because there's a lot of filmmakers that have made movies that are very divisive that people, but that but they're still worth seeing. Like even even Martin Scorsese, you know, you watch something like The Last Temptation of Christ. I think that's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's a great movie, and and but a lot of people like Harvey Keitel and you know yeah <laughs> and and Willem Dafoe playing Jesus. A lot of people don't even dig that, but it's Martin Scorsese. So uh, it, given his larger body of work, I I think it's fascinating to watch. So I can't wait for this movie. Still, it's done nothing to diminish my enthusiasm. All right, guys. Question is for you. 
We saw Amsterdam kind of fall on its face. Now Babylon is getting mixed reactions from the people who are seeing it. I don't know, where's your enthusiasm level for right now? Are you like a lot of us are like, hey, listen, Damien Chazelle is like maybe right up there with Ryan Coogler, like one of the great modern filmmakers today, one of the younger generation of filmmakers. Whatever he's going to put out is going to be awesome. Or are you a little bit nervous now, especially after seeing what happened with Amsterdam? Because we had a great director there, great cast. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? Do you expect this movie to be good? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things, interesting things going on in the world of movies and TV, but we don't have time to talk about it in length here. But if you watch the show, we want to make sure you're kept caught up. So this is a little segment to get you caught up on some of those smaller things that we call the movie news feed. First up, True Lies, the new CBS series based on the 1994 James Cameron and Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, my personal favorite action film of all time, has been given an official release date. The show, that stars Shameless's Steve Howey and She-Hulk's Ginger Gonzaga, will debut on February 23rd. The series follows Harry, Steve Howey, a first-class international spy for U.S. intelligence agency Omega Sector, and his wife, Helen, played by Ginger Gonzaga, a language professor bored with her daily routine who makes the shocking discovery that her seemingly ordinary husband is leading an extraordinary double life. Next up, Seth Rogen will write, direct, and star in a new Lionsgate comedy series coming to Apple TV+. The untitled show will focus on a legacy Hollywood movie studio trying to survive in a world where it is increasingly difficult for art and commerce to live together. Joining Rogen as a writer and director is his frequent collaborator Evan Goldberg. The two have worked together on several films like Superbad, Pineapple Express, This Is The End, The Interview, and The Good Boys. Emmy-winning writers from Veep, Peter Hyuk, and Alex Gregg will serve as the showrunners for the Apple TV Plus comedy series. Next up, and in sadder news, legendary daytime actor and father of Jennifer Aniston, John Aniston, has passed away at the age of 89. Aniston starred as Victor Kyriakis in nearly 3,000 episodes of Days of Our Lives. In 2022, Aniston received a Daytime Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award for his work on Days of Our Lives. In 1986, the role earned him two Soap Opera Digest Awards, one for Outstanding Actor in a Leading Role and for Outstanding Villain on a Daytime Serial. Aniston credits also included Kojak, Star Trek Voyager, The Gilmore Girls, The West Wing, Mad Men, Combat, The Virginian, That Girl, I Spy, Airwolf, My Big Fat Greek Life, American Dreams, Journeyman, and Cold Case. Next up, as most people know, iconic comedian and former host of The Tonight Show, Jay Leno, is an avid car enthusiast. Unfortunately, that love of cars landed him in the hospital. Leno was hospitalized on Sunday after a fire erupted in his Los Angeles car garage. One of the cars reportedly burst into flames and left Leno with burns on his face. Leno was taken to the Grossman Burn Center for his injuries. The good news is that the injuries don't appear to be too serious, as Leno said in a statement, I got some serious burns from a gas gasoline fire. I am okay. Just need a week or two to get back on my feet. And finally, action icons Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger are known to be good friends and can often be seen collaborating on projects and appear in each other's social media feeds. But according to Sylvester Stallone, the two used to absolutely hate each other. Stallone has revealed the pair's rivalry, saying, 
We couldn't stand to be in the same galaxy together for a while. We truly, truly loathed each other. So the competition, because it's in his nature, he is very competitive and so am I. And I just thought it actually helped. But off screen, we were still competitive and that was not a healthy thing at all. But we've become really good friends. And that'll do it for today's installment of the Movie News Feed. Hey guys, we want to take a second to thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. You guys know we have been sponsored by Masterclass and we love them here at the John Campia Show for giving us in-depth information on a wide variety of topics from the world's best experts. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn the art of filmmaking from James Cameron, improve your cooking skills from Gordon Ramsay, or learn how to make compelling YouTube videos from Marquise Brownlee. With over 150 classes from a range of world class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I was recently watching through the independent filmmaking course by Spike Lee, and I found it fascinating that not only did he cover the broader topics like working with actors, but he also gets into finer details like working with a cinematographer and how to properly audition a DP for your project. It was fascinating. So guys, I highly recommend that you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as a John Campion Show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia now. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off masterclass. And thank you to our friends at masterclass. I watch it all the time for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia show. Okay, guys with that down, let's get into what are we going to now? Main topic number two, <laughs> Alu, what is our second main topic today? Main topic number two comes to us from Omar 94, who says, Hi, Campia crew. There was a story over the weekend about Disney beginning layoffs, implementing a hiring freeze, and limiting company travel in a memo written by Bob Chapek. I know you're not the biggest Chapek fans, but what are your thoughts on this? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Omar. And, yeah, look, I, I, I do not like being... I don't like being negative. I don't. But the reality is sometimes in fandom, from time to time, you're going to be negative. I prefer talking about things I love. That, that's what I like talking about. But, you know, sometimes there are things that you don't have a positive outlook on. I admittedly do not have a positive outlook on the job that current Disney CEO Bob Chapek has done with the company. Disney stock price. Hard to have a positive outlook. Disney stock price dropped despite the fact that they've added a bunch of subscribers to Disney+. Plus. Their losses total in the neighborhood of four with a capital B, billion dollars in losses and stuff like that. So, I mean, it is what it is. But you also have to recognize that, and I bring this up all the time, that despite the fact that I'm not a big Bob Chapek fan, I have to keep reminding myself, and I think we need to always remind ourselves, that Bob Chapek, as terrible of a job as he's done as CEO of Disney, he took over Disney in the most terrible ridiculous and difficult circumstances that you could possibly enter that job. Your theme parks were closed. Production was shut down. Movie theaters were closed. Your cruises were shut down. Like that was the environment that Bob Chapek had to take over Disney. And, and as much as the fact that I don't think he's done a good job, you got to say, man, he took it over in the most awful circumstances. And I think I got to remind myself of that. I think we all need to remind ourselves of that. That being said, you can really tell the type of a leader you get when adversity hits. It's easy to look like a great leader when everything's going well. 
it's it's different when things aren't going so well. When the wind is blowing not at your back but in your face and, and when you're facing some adversity. So right now, Disney, understanding a lot of the circumstances, still dealing with the ramifications of the pandemic and all that kind of stuff and a lot of things catching up and whatever. How do you respond to this adversity? You know, that, hey, we've lost money. Our stock price took a hit. Uh, what do we do with our direction? And in my opinion, he's having totally the wrong reaction to all this. Uh, this comes to us from CNBC who are writing about the <laughs> writing about the, uh, the the what's going on over at Disney right now and some of the new edicts that Bob Chapek has is putting down right now. CNBC said the following. They said this: We are limiting headcount uh, additions through a targeted hiring freeze. CEO Bob Chapek said in a memo uh, to division leads sent this Friday and obtained by CNBC. Hiring for the small subset of the most crucial business driving positions will continue, but all other roles are on hold, he added. As we work through this evaluation process, we will look at every avenue of operations and labor to find savings. As we do anticipate some staff reductions, that's code for, hey, everybody, get ready. We're about to have more layoffs. Uh, some staff reductions as a part of this review. Chapek also uh, also told executive business travel should be limited to essential trips only. Meetings should be conducted virtually as much as possible, he wrote in the memo. Chapek also says that Disney will also be conducting a rigorous review of the company's content and marketing spending. Uh, that, of course, now keep this up for a minute. I want to look at some of this, highlight some of these things. Number one, hiring freezes. Number two, layoffs. Number three, restricting travel. Number four, can't even meet together. Do it over Zoom. Number five, we're going to cut back on our content spending. Number six, we're going to cut back on our marketing spending. All right. This is your classic wrong overreaction. You know, one of my big criticisms that I used to have of Warner Brothers years ago was they were too reactionary. They never trusted their plan. They never came, well, first of all, they never bothered to come up with much of a plan. <laughs> but then whatever plans they did come up with, they never believed in their plan. You know, Or their filmmakers. Or their filmmakers. Sometimes, listen, when you have a, when you have a plan, you got to have the discernment to know when it's time to deviate. But you also got to understand that when you have a plan and you have a direction, sometimes you might hit a speed bump, but you need to keep going in that direction right? We are accustomed to the story of Disney being success after success after success. But what happens when you hit some adversity? Well, apparently if you're Disney and you're Bob Chapek, your first reaction to the first signs of adversity is lay people off. Don't travel anymore. Don't go to essential meetings or stuff like that. Do everything over Zoom. Uh, bring in RC Cola instead of Coca-Cola into the confectionary. Huh. Uh, That's enough to make me quit. You don't have to lay me off. Yeah, you don't have to lay me off. Let's not spend as much money on our content and <laughs> let's not spend money on our marketing. This is the absolute wrong direction for them. Now, listen, you know me. I am an advocate for fiscal responsibility in, in entertainment corporations. I've been an advocate for that for years. I believe studios need to be more attentive to how much money they spend and all that kind of stuff. But you need to spend money in the right places and at the right time. This whole notion of, oh, you know what this reminds me of? 
It reminds me of when there was this cereal company. I can't remember which one it was, but they were hitting some a, a, a lapse in sales. So instead of doing what you'd think they should do, which is improve their product, they decided, I think they had raisins in their sale. It wasn't, it wasn't a raisin brand, but it was some company that had raisins. Some of you guys in the live chat might remember the story. So in response to lagging profits, instead of deciding, let's make our product even better to boost sales, they decided, well, let's put less raisins. Raisins is the most expensive part it of our It was a trail mix. Was I it a trail that. mix? It was a trail let's mix. Let's put less raisins. Let's make our product worse. Right. That will make us our money back. Yeah. It's, what did the old English saying say? It's being penny wise and a dollar foolish. Is that what it, the saying is? It's like, let's save two cents, but ultimately cost ourselves a dollar long-term, right? I remember when I was, I had this one meeting uh, one time with the CEO of AMC Theaters. Not the buffoon who's running it now, but when they used to have a really good CEO. And I remember sitting down, I had breakfast with the CEO of AMC, and we were talking about our budget at AMC Theaters, at AMC Movie News that I was running at the time. And when we were looking at the structure and the numbers that we had at the time, you know, he was like, well, let me ask you, let me push you on this. He would always, I love that term. He would always say, let me push you on this. He goes, you know, right now you have this much staff and your numbers are this big. Don't you think the budget you have is, you know, consistent with the size that the operation is right now? And I said, it is, but my dad taught me that you don't spend for where you are. You spend for where you want to be. And I guess the CEO liked that. They increased our budget. We were able to hire some more people. We got our new studio and all that kind of stuff. And sure enough, AMC, the movie news division, we grew. And, and it was great because we had leadership in place who had that sort of foresight. Now, again, that doesn't mean you become financially irresponsible. It doesn't mean you spend without wisdom. But if you're Disney and you look, say, huh, our profits have fallen. What's the first thing they did? They jacked the price of Disney+. Plus to try to get you and me to pay for their losses. Instead of their ad-supported tier being cheaper, they actually made it the exact same price as the current price of Disney without ads. I love the way Chris Carr put it. You're going to punish me for watching commercials? You're going you're gonna to charge me more to get a lesser product? So we found out they jacked the prices, and now they're going to lessen how much they spend on their content and lessen how much they spend on their marketing and they're going to lay off their creative workforce and they're going to tell their executive leadership, don't travel to meetings. And they're going to tell their regular staff, don't meet face like a writer's room's now going to be done over zoom. I, again, yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it screams to me. And let's not release movies that should have been theatrical releases like oh. seeing red. How many millions of dollars did they leave on the on the on the? Uh, not, a lot of raisins, Rob. A lot of raisins. They left a lot of raisins on I, the table. I mean, it's not, and, and that's just one movie. And and that was just one. But again, I don't want to relitigate every sure. dumb move they've made. But I mean, I, I get. It. On the one hand, you want to be financially responsible. Hey, we just had some losses. Let let's see where we can tighten things up. But to take the approach of let's instantly punish our viewers. And again, I still think ten ninety nine is a good value for what you get for Disney+. Plus. I'm actually okay with that. But when your first reaction to the first hint of adversity is, let's jack our prices, let's punish our, our loyal fan base, let's lay off our staff, let's cut back on the content. So shouldn't, this is the time. If Bob Iger, and I know, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm a Bob Iger acolyte. I know I am. But if Big Papa Iger 
we're in that, we're on the Iron Throne right now. This is what Big Papa Iger would be doing. He'd be saying, all right, it, it is time for us to boost the price on Disney Plus, but let's make sure that ad-supported tier is nice and cheap for people as an entry point to Disney Plus. Let's only increase the price by this much. Now, let's double down on our content. Let's make sure we're giving customers and audiences out there and we become the go-to place that we make Disney Plus the premium, most premier place that people can come. That when people go to the movie theater, see Disney movies, that they know they're going to get the best product possible and stuff like that. Big Papa Iger would be saying, it's not time for us to spend where we are. It's time for us to spend to where we want to be. And again, I'm all for fiscal responsibility, but this... This is a leader who is facing the first choppy waters and panicking and absolutely panicking. This is not thinking about, this is thinking about tomorrow, not thinking about two years from now. And that's the difference between Chapek and Iger. Iger was always thinking three, four, five years down the road where Chapek is just like, how bumpy's the road right now and what should we do? And it's just, as a fan of Disney, now, I know I've said a lot of negative things about Disney over the past while. I know that I have, but you guys also know that at my core, I am a Disney fan. I am. As a fan of Disney, this is very disheartening to see. And uh, I just think it's a tremendous mistake they're doing. And it, Rob, you know, you've worked within studio systems before. You've worked on these lots and stuff like that. You've seen adversity come into this. What do you think about these moves that Bob Chapek is making right now for Disney? Well, I, look, the, the thing about the, these studios is that there is a culture of fear that exists. Everyone's always afraid for their jobs all the time because one bad decision could end your career and follow you around for the rest of your career. So they, they hang on for as long as they can making these decisions, whether they're, some are good, some are bad. But the entire culture of this, I mean, Bob, Bob Iger worked in the entertainment business since he was young. He had a holistic understanding I think the problem with Bob Chapek is he only really has worked in one area of the business and he came up because he was there for a long time and he gets put in this position. I don't think his skill set was developed in such a way that he's able to navigate these waters as effectively as someone like Bob Iger, you know, somebody who met talent like Frank Sinatra early on in his career and worked his way through many different facets of the industry before he landed where he is. You know, Bob Iger comes from theme parks. For instance, how are those theme parks doing? You know, they keep raising prices. Here in California, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. Let's take this tier away. You don't even want to go to Disneyland anymore. Nor do You're I. You're a Disneyland fan. Nope, I, I canceled I, my Disneyland membership. I don't go anymore. I literally still don't know how to go to Disneyland. I don't know what you're supposed to do to go. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I've talked to other people. Goes, I don't even know how you go to Disneyland. And then, how do I ride rides? I don't know. This should I should be able to go and just ride. Right. right. Well, that's and that's another thing. They've they've changed. That's something else people are talking about. What is their theme park business looking like now? I mean, it, it, I understand it's a pandemic and all that, but like you said, I used to have a Disney premium annual pass. They got rid of that. You know, and then they get brought them back and made it tiered. And then you have to call in at seven o'clock in the morning to book. I mean, they did all of these things that are ridiculous and counterproductive to me. Um, I think that when you're concentrating on on content, you have content, but you haven't treated your content like Disney should treat their content. Why did Prey, the Predator movie, why was it on Hulu? Why didn't that become a theatrical release? Warner Brothers is like, oh, Evil Dead Rise. This is going to go direct to HBO Max. 
we're going to put it out theatrically now because it's that good. Barbarian, a $4.5 million movie. They did put it out theatrically with a good marketing campaign. They should have pushed that harder. Barbarian could have made $75 million or $100 million. Smile did. I mean, it doesn't have the Smile made over two hundred. Yeah, Smile made two hundred globally. I mean, it's it 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 blows my mind that that here's my problem. All of these people thought streaming was going to save their business. They thought streaming was going to change everything, but they only looked at it from a subscriber standpoint. We're going to get this money every month. There's only so many houses in the world, and you can move into different countries and different different places. But David Zaslav talked about churn. And he understands people subscribe to services, and when they're done watching whatever show they're going to watch, they'll let it go for a while until you bring something back. You don't just keep 165 million subscribers. That doesn't just stay there. You're going to see churn. It's going to go up. It's going to go down based on your content. And then you have to decide, what are people watching? If we make $200 million movies, how is a $200 million movie different than a $100 million movie? You know, if you made a movie for $100 million, you still have that extra $100 million that you didn't spend. So I don't think anyone has really got a grasp. The, 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 no one is working from their gut anymore. No one is working from their own common sense, like the old moguls of yore that could run the studio. They did things with their gut. A guy who runs a studio, Bob Iger, goes, hmm, George Lucas might sell Star Wars. I'm going to go get that. That was something he probably decided. No one told him. He didn't have a, a bunch of people, advisors going, hey. Do you remember how much they spent? $4, million, or $4 billion. $4 billion. That's how many billion dollar films have they already had out of Star Wars just out of the theatrical releases alone? Right? I mean, yeah, I thought, I thought that was astronomical until they bought Fox. And then I'm like, oh, that was cheap. <laughs> yeah, well, Fox was. No, and I get it. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, but this is all systemic, Rob, too, from the, remember when I, because remember, hey, I'm not going to let myself off the hook for this. When they first hired Bob Chapek, I was like, I think this is a good hire because on paper, it was a good hire where I started realizing, hey, what the hell's going on here? Ever since he made those moves where he took power away from the creatives in the company and they started, he started creating new layers of middle management where he had business people now making, having decision-making authority over the creative forces, over the individual studio heads like Kevin Feige and stuff like that. I think this is a big, this is just a systemic um, inevitability result that we see as something coming from that. So I, I don't know, where do you see them going from here? What do they need to do next? Look, I don't think running corporations like corporations at the head the person that the person at the top has to be patent has to be somebody that thinks creatively you don't you don't have a bunch of consultants that you 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 have to know chapek doesn't have that he never had that he did not learn all the skill sets he needs to run the studio i think they, and it's interesting because you look at Chapek and Zaslav, and I think of Warner Brothers and Disney. They're right down the street from each other. Yes, they are. So, like, just a few blocks over. It's from each really other. interesting to see watching Zaslav talk. Like, you know, we've discovered that streaming. He's making all these cuts, and you know, I'm not saying I don't know enough about his history. I've never worked for David Zaslav. I don't know what he. But it seems to me he comes in just the fact that he goes and talks to a bunch of people, you know, and then goes, "Hmm, I've talked. I've I've listened to everybody, and I'm going to make the decision." That's the difference. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? At Disney, after uh, you know a, a, a not-so-positive financial picture that got painted, they are hiring, uh, freezing hiring. They are doing layoffs. They're going to cut back spending on their content and on marketing, uh, limiting travel for the, a bunch of other things, and who knows what else. 
maybe some people are thinking this is the right move. This is being financially responsible. I'm all for being financially responsible. Maybe you're like me and you think this is being way too overreactionary. Whatever you guys think about this, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Before we go into main topic number three here, it is Tuesday. And that means it is top five Tuesday. Mm -hmm. As every Tuesday now, we decide to do a top five list. And listen, a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking about Michael Keaton. There's a Michael Keaton topic coming up here in just a bit. So I thought today we would take the opportunity, Rob, to talk about one of the, I think it's fair to say, one of the most beloved guys as far as audiences are concerned, in the Hollywood system right now, and that is Michael Keaton. So the topic for today's Top 5 Tuesday is the movies of Michael Keaton. And Rob, you know, as you sit back and look at the filmography of Michael Keaton, he's not just a fan favorite actor, because there, there seems to be two different types of big actors, right? There's fan favorite actors, like your Dwayne The Rock Johnsons and stuff like that, and then there's your prestige... Oscar level actors. Michael Keaton is one of those guys who straddles both. He's a fan favorite. He is an Oscar caliber actor and he's got an impressive, impressive list of films. Too many that we can even go into and mention. We were talking not too long ago about uh, films like, uh, like dream team and gung ho, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, several others, but let's get over. I'm going to give my top five. Yep. All right, so let's go over to the Campia classroom here for a second, talk about top five. My number five Michael Keaton film is his first Batman film. That first Batman, now, I, I'm, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that are kind of stunned that I'm not ranking it even higher on my list uh, because to a lot of people, hey, to some people, Batman, that first Tim Burton Batman film with Michael Keaton is some people's favorite comic book film of all time. I really enjoy it. I really love it. I have some others ahead of it, but still, Batman for me is number five. At number four, and some people are going to be really surprised I'm putting this ahead of it, but is Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. I, his, him playing Vulture was shocking and surprising to me in that. He brought the heart and soul. Tom Holland is great in the movie, obviously. Jacob Bartolone is absolutely, Zendaya is great in it, but I thought it was Michael Keaton playing Vulture in that. That scene in Homecoming where he's in the car with just Peter and they're talking to each other through the rearview mirror. I mean, I just, I ate him up in this. I loved him in this. So I'm going to go number four is Spider-Man Homecoming. All right. And number three, one that I, I bet a lot of our viewers haven't seen, Mr. Mom. I was just going to say no, Mr. Mom. Oh, Mr. Mom with Terry Gar. Now you got to remember, it may seem a little backwards today to say you're making a big deal. Like it's so weird that a dad would stay home to raise their kids. Got to remember, this movie was almost 40 years ago. Yep. This movie came out in 1983. All right? I was 10 <laughs> when this movie came out. And at that time, we started to see a shift in our society that, like, women were 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 seen as playing a larger role in the dynamics of supporting the family, stuff like that. And at that time, to make a movie about, wait a minute, a man who stays home to raise the kid. I mean, that was yeah, it's called progress. People stop applying today's <laughs> progress to yesterday. It, it was completely out of the box at the time. It was different at the time. And it's one of the movies that I think helped propel progress in a society way. And, and it's funny and it's charming. And I love Terry Gar, by the way, 
see mom and dad save the world. But I love Terry Gar and Michael Keaton in it. Absolutely fantastic. All right. Number two for me, Birdman. Um, I still remember watching. Uh, this was really, even though Michael Keaton has always stayed busy. Birdman was his re-coming out party, I think, for yep. a lot of the world. It was it was the one that's like, oh, yeah, we all love Michael Keaton. And he came out there. That movie, the little twist, the kind of psychedelic edge to the film. Ed Norton, by the way, is fantastic in this movie as well. Everybody in this movie is incredible. And I believe he got nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards for this. But, yeah, Birdman for me is absolutely incredible. So that's number two on my list. Number one on my list, I think, is one of the most underappreciated Best Picture winners ever in Oscar history, and that's Spotlight. Spotlight, to me, is just... I, I remember that was a movie that haunted me. Like, once I saw that movie... I was haunted by it for for days after watching it. And Michael Keaton's performance was one of the corner. I mean, Mark Ruffalo was fantastic in it. Rachel McAdams is fantastic in it. Everybody's in it is great. But I thought Michael Keaton's performance was one of those anchoring points of that whole film. One best picture of the Academy Awards. And listen, I here's how good Michael Keaton's career is. Look at this list again. I'm sure there are some people out there putting together their Michael Keaton top five. And maybe none of my films are even on their list. Mine's pretty different. That's how deep his career is. So, uh, yeah, my number five is Batman, number four, Spider-Man, Homecoming, number three, Mr. Mom, number two, Birdman, number one, Spotlight. So, Rob, let's go over to you. What is your top five for Michael Keaton? My number five is the first time I saw Michael Keaton playing Bill Blazjowski, Billy Blaze, Night Shift, 40 years ago, pre-Mr. Mom. I loved this movie. We love brokers. Yeah, it's Henry Henry Winkler. Winkler, And, and you know, there are two movies from the early 80s. Night Shift is one of them. Risky Business is another. Where are the sequels? I want to see Day Shift and I want to see Riskier Business. I want to see. I love Night Shift. I watch it. I mean, to me, that was also when Ron Howard came out of the gate showing, I mean, he'd done, done, done like Gone in was 60 that, Seconds. Yeah, was, that's what I was going to say. That I was thought, like one of his, his first, first film? No. no it wasn't no. his first, but it was it was like one of it his was early. His big, it was his big yeah. breakthrough, you yeah. know, and uh, it, it, Billy Blaze, Michael Keaton has his wacky dude. He's just great at it. Number, my number four movie, which is, I now that I look at yours, is Spotlight. Now, I have watched Spotlight, wackily enough, twice in the last two nights. It is a fantastic film. The thing about Michael Keaton is I didn't know that you were going to ask for this topic until you texted it to me. The thing that struck me that I was thinking as I was watching it, I'm like, Michael Keaton is actually the hero of Spotlight. Hmm. He's got this great supporting cast, but he's the hero. He's the prime mover because he has to decide. And then his through his machinations, his character ends up being, if it could be called a hero. He is so good in that film reserved, but also there's a, there's an, you see this anger about what's going on. He's great. Great in the movie. Number three, The Founder. Oh, yeah, I love that. that's a good one. I, I struggled not putting that on my list. Yeah, I was like, why is The Founder not on John's? <laughs> number three is is The Founder because, again, you see he's playing a real guy, you know, Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's, and it's all him. You know, he's front and center, and you see he's playing so many different colors in terms of what kind of a character he is. Number two, following up on, on on Night Shift, he's front and center. Here is a film that will remain timeless, and his performance in it is one for the ages. 
Duplicity. No. <laughs> Beetlejuice. Woo! Beetlejuice is number two. Beetlejuice. Uh, and because, again, <laughs> no one, the, the comedic chops he displayed in Night Shift reached their zenith in Beetlejuice. Uh, I've seen The Exorcist 167 times, and it keeps getting better every time I see it. He's just the best. And then my number one is Birdman. Because Birdman, again, he is front and center. I mean, the thing about Michael Keaton is he has a very unusual face. He's not necessarily traditionally handsome, and yet he is. And he can turn his face into a, 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 a boundless fountain of comedy. But he can also turn it inward and be stern and serious and emotional. He has a very uh, – and and I just – he's just a really appealing presence. And if he needs to be like in Dope Sick, which he was recently in on TV, the guy's an incredible actor. And I think he's only gotten better. And watching him in Spotlight two nights in a row, I'm like, that. this guy is one of our finest actors working on screen today. So, again, to highlight, this is, this is just how deep – Michael Keaton's career has been that out of our five, only one is shared on our two lists. Or actually, no, we you got Spotlight and Birdman, so yeah. why? But two, but so my number five was Batman, number four, Spider-Man, Homecoming, number three, Mr. Mom, number two, Birdman, number one, Spotlight. Rob's number five is Night Shift, number four, Spotlight, number three, The Founder, number two, Beetlejuice, and number one, Birdman. I should put I should have put Spotlight at number two. Uh, no, you put yeah. it where you put it. And uh, it's so good. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Out of the incredible career of Michael Keaton and all the amazing films that he has done. What for you stands out as a top five for him? Jump on down in the description below in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, before we move on to our next main topic, we're going to take a second and thank the good folks. One of our sponsors today at HelloFresh. We want to take a moment and thank a sponsor of today's video, HelloFresh. Guys, my wife Ann and I love using HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. When you subscribe to HelloFresh, you can check save money off of your fall to-do list. HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout and even less expensive than grocery shopping too. And HelloFresh works with your ever-changing schedule. Plans are flexible and you can choose your meals for the week, update your preferences, or change your delivery day all in the HelloFresh app. Now you know Ann and I are both working professionals, so when it comes to dinner time, it can be a bit of a challenge. We don't really have time to cook and we don't want to eat out all the time. And that's why HelloFresh comes through so clutch for us. Not only do we get to eat delicious, nutritious food, but Ann and I both have a lot of fun getting to cook together, following the easy-to-follow steps in getting the meals made. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Campia65 and use the code Campia65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Campia65 using the code Campia65 for 65% off plus free shipping. And thank you to our friends at HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Ann and I actually Love this service a lot. Their food is delicious. It makes it fun to put together. Make sure you go, guys go and check out HelloFresh and use our promo code. All right. With that down, let's get into main topic number three. Hello. What is our third main topic today? Topic number three comes to us from Javad D, who says, Hey, John, I know you're a big fan of Yellowstone. Thank you for turning me on to the show. 
Did you see the ratings for the season five debut? The numbers keep going up and up every year. They're saying over 12 million people watched it, which is insane. With numbers like these, how much longer can this show stay under so many people's radar? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Javad. And yeah, listen, you guys know, I believe like Andor is out there. Which, oh, God. Dude. It's game day. Tonight. New episode of Andor tonight. God, that just made me happy. Suddenly, the day just feels better to me now. I just realized that. Andor. Cannot wait. Andor tonight. We live in a world where succession is out there, which is insanely good. There's so much good stuff. But I still believe right now that Yellowstone is the best show on TV. And it is insane how few people talk about it. But while not a lot of people seem to talk about it, you bet your ass a lot of people are watching it because according to reports, 12.1 million people watched the return of the show, which is up 10% from the season debut last year. Now listen, a lot of TV shows, they come out big, ratings drop, and then you try to hold those ratings for a while until eventually they drop, drop, drop until you get canceled, right? Even the, the great shows, right? Some of the really great shows see year after year their viewership go up, like Game of Thrones or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yellowstone is on that kind of trajectory. Now, if you want to put some context on this about, well, how big is 12 million viewers? Well, take a look at this image here. This is looking at, now this is in October uh, factoid that came out. But everybody knows the number one thing on television is, is football, right? And in this uh, thing, this is like the last week of October, I think. The number one watch thing in the world that week was Sunday Night Football with 15.5 million viewers. The number two was also Sunday Night Football, the pregame show with 13 point something million viewers. Then NFL on Fox, uh, national bonus, Los Angeles uh, Chargers versus Seattle Seahawks drew 12.8 million viewers. And then you get the OT, more football, football online in America, 60 minutes, drew 7 million viewers. Get down around Chicago, fire, 7 million viewers, huge numbers. Now to put that into some other, to some geek context, Stargirl was averaging, I believe, 280,000 viewers. Yeah. Right? Yellowstone, 12.1 million viewers on Yellowstone. Keeping that in context. Now, let me ask you this, because I, is it only on Paramount Plus? What, what, where, where are we seeing this? Like, are, is it just on one network? No, they put it on a couple. So they put it on, it's not on Paramount Plus. Okay. It's on, it's on linear, regular TV. It's on Paramount and it's on. Because it started before Paramount Plus exists. Yeah. It's so it's on Paramount and a couple of their smaller owned stations as well. The old ones are on Peacock. This one's on the Peacock old ones, too. Yeah. yeah. So the old ones can go, and then eventually they'll end up on Paramount Plus. But for now, that's where the, the live thing is on a network that a lot of people don't even have or know that they have, and yet it's still pulling in twelve point one million viewers. Yeah. Listen, I'll tell you what. For the life of me, I don't know why this show isn't on more people's radars. I mean, it's clearly got the numbers. People are watching this. Well, it show. is on people's radars. Yeah, but I mean, you don't hear people talking about it very much, and I do not know why because to me, this is. The best show. And by the way, for those of you who watch the show, you'll know what I'm talking about. The relationship between Beth and Rip, I think is the best relationship I've ever seen on television. Like these two characters as a couple is my all-time favorite television couple. Like they, there's a power in that couple that like, because you got Rip who's like the ultimate man's man. And you've got Beth who is like the biggest badass on the planet. But together, 
she's the only person that can call Rip on his shit, and Rip is the only one that can call her on hers. It just makes this incredible dynamic. Kevin Costner is brilliant in the show. The family dynamic. Somebody wrote in and asked the question, who's got like the worst family dynamic? The family dynamics in Yellowstone or Succession? And it's close. Like, it's just, th this show is just populated with these incredibly rich characters set in this gorgeous setting. I love this show so much and I'm thrilled to see the success. Anyway, Rob, you see these numbers come 12.1 million, 10% up from the previous year's debut. I, I don't know. What do you make of all this? Well, I think that the reason this show is connecting with people is because it's about America. You know, it's it's about America in all of its in all of its myriad fascinating ways. And I'll tell you something that's brilliant. This is now a shared universe show. It is. I mean, yep. <laughs> who would have thought that Yellowstone begins its fifth season? Uh, they've already had a, a successful prequel miniseries in 1883. 1883 yeah. And their next miniseries stars two gigantic screen icons. It's not even a miniseries. It's going to be two seasons. Okay, two seasons. It's okay. Two seasons, like the Andor of Yellowstone. For those of you who don't know, Rob's talking about uh, 1923 with Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford and, Ford and Helen Mirren. Dame Helen Mirren. Yeah. Indiana Jones and Han Solo are in the next Yellowstone. This is, I think, in, in television history, I love seeing this happen. I love seeing that, that Taylor Sheridan has a huge powerhouse. I mean, come on, look, he looks badass. He looks great. He, he looks is, great. Yes. And, and, and this, I love this. I, I think this is great creative programming that stems from the mind of one creator. Not to say he doesn't have great collaborators, but I mean, the, the hardest working man in show business. You know, I was reading an article or, or, just the other day saying that there are some people that think that this is some right-wing power fantasy show. And I'm like, what? This movie is about Americana. It, it, it taps into Western iconography along with, like, Succession, Wall Street. I mean, it's Gordon Gecko meets the West, man. This, this is so, this is catnip, especially for older viewers, too. I mean, this appeals. 1883 was a great effing Western. I mean, I saw things in that. Like that gun battle that they had when their people were trying yeah. to steal their horses in the middle of the plains where there was no cover. That was awesome. I mean, I'm like, this is visceral. This is awesome programming. This is awesome content. But this is really great auteurist authorship programming that I, I, I love. And look, dude, I wouldn't have watched a show. I, I, didn't, I was off my radar until you put it on my radar. And I'm like, I got to watch this. Well, I'm glad you, know, you did. Yeah, and 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 when I watched when I, it, I I really didn't start watching it regularly and get all the way through it till 1883. I was so impressed with 1883, which was kind of cool. It's kind because it, it it reminded me this must be the experience of watching Game of Thrones. I mean, uh, watching House of the Dragon before Game of Thrones. How how far cut up are you on Yellowstone? Right I now? haven't seen the I haven't seen uh, the fifth season. You haven't seen season five, yet. but I'm all the way up to the fifth. One season. of the greatest moments to me in television history that I just sat on the couch, like I could feel like all the adrenaline rushing through me was, I can't remember if it was season two or three, but Beth gets kidnapped yeah. and they savagely beat her. The people who like, they savagely, these big giant gorilla men savagely beat her and they're getting ready to rape her. Meanwhile, like she's just like spouting off at them as they're doing all this. Right. And you knew Rip was coming. And like, you're just, I'm just sitting there. Listen, I, I'm not a violent person, 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh, when you knew Rip was going there, because you got to understand the relationship between Rip and Beth. And you're like, oh my God, pray to Jesus now, because when Rip gets there, you're all dead. <laughs> you're all dead. And I just, it was one of the most adrenaline pumping scenes I think I'd ever had watching television. It was well, so and, good. But that's the thing about Tyler Sheridan is he, he really understands how to use tropes properly yeah. yeah and and he 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 was an actor before he was a he was uh, in sons of anarchy yeah he, he and he really gets it like he understands the way a lot of other people are shying away from these kind of tropes now he's he's no 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 these there's a reason these classical tropes work and he's leaning into that and i love it i love it all right guys question is for you what do you think i mean these for for like television these numbers are Bruh. really impressive why don't more people talk about their show they're clearly watching it what do you think about these numbers whatever you think about yellowstone jump on down to the comment <laughs> section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to main topic number four Alou, what is our fourth main topic today main topic number four comes to us from emma dohertz who says Hi, John and crew. I saw a report saying that the new Marvel film Thunderbolts was going to start shooting sooner than I thought this summer. Not giving any spoilers away, but I feel like after watching Black Panther Wakanda forever, I have a little bit of a guess as to what the movie might be about. Do you think this movie can find an audience? And where is your excitement level for it right now? Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Emma. Now, I'm going to let you guys be aware here that we're probably going to reference something regarding Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Nothing major about major plot lines in Wakanda Forever at all, but just a minor detail about the movie. So if you haven't seen Wakanda Forever and you don't want to know the slightest, even the most insignificant detail about it, you may want to come back to this video a little bit later after you've watched Wakanda Forever. But, but all honesty, the detail we're going to give is an inconsequential to the actual story of Black Panther. But I just want to give you guys a little bit of heads up on that. All right. With that said, you know, Thunderbolts is a project to me that I had almost zero interest in when they announced it. As a matter of fact, I didn't even realize for a while that it was a movie. I thought it was going to be a Disney, like a throwaway Disney Plus thing, to be honest with you. And when I found it was a movie, I'm like, really? You're doing Thunderbolts as a movie? I don't think anybody's going to care. Then something funny happened. D23 came along. And they announced probably the most significant announcement they made at D23 was the cast lineup of Thunderbolts. Now, a couple in there, we figured we knew Valentina would be there. We knew American agent or U.S. agent was going to be a part of it. You know, Walmart Captain America was going to be in there. I by, by the way, by the end of Falcon Winter Soldier, I actually really liked the character. But then they announced that Bucky was going to be in it, that Yelena was going to be in it, that... David Harbour as what do they call his character again? Red Guardian. Red, Red, Red Guardian, Guardian yeah. who was the absolute best part yes. of the Black Widow movie. I, you know, they started introducing all these and of course Valentina's there and all that kind of stuff. And then yeah, Ghost is in there as well, which is going to be really interesting to see Ghost come back from Ant-Man 2. And so that, so instantly I was like, okay, well, you know what? Okay, I'm interested. I'm interested. But after watching Black Panther Wakanda Forever... There is a strong, this isn't my theory, this is, a lot of people have this theory right now, that Thunderbolts is going to be directly tied to Wakanda. Now, we don't know that. I, I, no insider sources are telling me that. But when you see what happens in Wakanda Forever, and Valentina is there, 
you start to think, could Thunderbolts be like covert ops uh, either in or against Wakanda? And that would suddenly make a lot of sense about why Bucky would be there because Bucky clearly, he lived in Wakanda for a while. One of the only outsiders to actually be able to live within their borders. So that makes it all fascinating. So whereas a piece of news coming around saying, hey, guess what? This summer they start shooting this thing. To me would have been throwaway. But after hearing the cast announcement in this, especially the David Harbour's Red Guardian, like I'll be honest with you, I would watch an entire Disney Plus series about David Harbour's Red. You give me a Disney Plus series that is six episodes of one four-hour dinner at a diner between M'Baku and Red Guardian, and yeah. it's just six episodes of the two of them talking together. I'm in. I will watch the shit out of that show. But I, I love this character, Red Guardian. But now after seeing Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, I'm actually like, okay, if there is a tie-in there, I'm going to be really fascinated. Anyway, Rob, they're saying this movie is going to be going into production this summer. What stands out to you? Well, first of all, it's brilliant because now you have a team film where the, let's call it the pay isn't so expensive. This yeah. is not this is this is a cast that you can put together for you sign them up for three films and they're not that expensive compared to because you haven't built them up. And I love this cast. I love this cast. I love this, the cast too. This whether you're talking, you know, this is this to me is like I think of it as Marvel's expendables or whatever. I love this cast. And I'll tell you something else. I bet it's not just Wakanda. I bet look, at the end of this movie, you have two technologically advanced nations on earth. Let's not go into too many details about Wakanda forever. Well, no, but I'm just, but, but everyone knows Talacan. Yes, Talacan's there, Wakanda's there. And you've got now two. Well, what if they decide to create some alliance? I'm not saying that they're going to, and you don't really have necessarily any indication of that, but what if they did? You've got these two countries that are now on earth. How does this, how does the world deal with that? What if, what if Wakanda and, and Talacan said, you know what? Enough of your BS. We're stepping in. We're taking over. Isn't that enough of a threat, a potential threat? Like, what if the Chinese and the Russians were to do that now? We don't know. I, and by the way, this isn't necessarily in the movie. But I'm just saying, I mean, it's not in Wakanda forever. But what if they, like, I could see it moving forward. That's a threat or at least a perceived threat. I think that's interesting. And that's why you have a covert group of people like, well, we got to destabilize this from happening. I mean, it could be really, I'm just thinking in geopolitical Tom Clancy terms. I think that'd be cool. I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen, but um, I, I like that idea. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Are you looking forward to Thunderbolts? The movie goes into production this summer, we're looking for a 2024 release date, so it's not all that far away. I'm stoked, dude. How's your excitement level been for it? Did you have any for it? Did you maybe get some like I did after the casting announcements and maybe seeing Wakanda Forever? I don't know. What are your guys' theories about this right now? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's go into our fifth and final main topic here today. Alu, <laughs> what is our fifth main topic today? Topic number five comes to us from Imran, who says, in an interview with THR, Big Papa Zaslav went into great lengths about the future of WBD and DC. 
He said that Gunn and Safran are nearing the end of the journey in mapping out the DCU films for the next 10 years. But what stood out the most in this article is that he said he will eventually only have one Batman in the DC universe. Does that mean Affleck is back? Does this mean Keaton is our DCU Batman? Will it be Robert Pattinson? It's all really confusing. What do you make of his comments? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, listen, a big question is going around about what's DC going to look like in a few years? Because right now, for the first time ever, DC has its own studio. They've never had it before. They've always just made DC films under the Warner Brothers banner, Warner Brother Pictures banner before. They would never had the advantage that Marvel has had of having their own dedicated studio that was just dedicated to making Marvel films. They have that now. David Zaslav gave them that. And they gave them a couple of incredible leaders with Peter Safran and, of course, the guy I love, James Gunn, being in there running that. It's, it's an incredibly positive step for the future of DC films in and of itself. Now, David Zaslav was asked about, okay, tell us a little bit about your hopes for the future of DC. And it sounds like DC is going to become a more unified place under James Gunn. This comes to us from The Wrap, who wrote the following. Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav teased future plans for DC films on Tuesday under the tutelage of newly installed CEOs James Gunn and Peter Safran. And reading between the lines, it sure sounds like the multiverse is not going to be a key part moving forward. Thank God. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I think, said Zaslav, over the next few years, you're going to see a lot of growth and opportunity around DC. There's not going to be four Batmans, as David Zaslav said. And so part of our strategy is to drive the hell out of DC, which James and Peter are going to do. I think they're, they've thrilled the fans. I think they're going to thrill you over a period of time. Okay. So one of the first things I think we need to point out here about Zaslav's comments is that he does not say there's only going to be one Batman. Let's be clear. I mean, that might be the implied message. That could be the implied message. But he just said, look, we are not going to have a cinematic slate of films that are just going to all be all over the place. We're not going to have four <laughs> Batman running around because a lot of people speculate that. A lot of people think we're going to have the, the um, Robert Pattinson Batman running around. We're going to have Ben Affleck running around. We're going to have Michael Keaton Batman running around. And we're going to get a fourth because that's been a big theory. We're going to get a fourth Batman that's going to kind of be a main thing. There's all these Batman. What he did say is, look. We're creating a unified vision here. And he goes on to talk a lot about Marvel. I mean, Zazov heaps a lot of praise on Kevin Feige and Marvel and what they did over there and, and with their philosophical approach saying, hey, listen, you need one guy in charge. You need one person in charge that has the vision. And that is something that Warner Brothers prior to now always got wrong with DC. They always had committees of 10 and 11 people. And they say that, uh, who was, uh, uh, who just left again? Um, uh, the uh, Hamada. Oh, Walter Hamada. Yeah, yeah, you know Walter Hamada. So, oh, he's going to be it. But then you found out that no, Hamada just got relegated to just one seat. He was on never some given committee. an opportunity to do anything, and he wasn't even the head of that committee. Yeah. Right, that, this committee that had seven or eight people. And then remember, for a while they said, well, Ben Affleck's going to have this, and then they said this guy's going to have. I mean, just all over the place. He at least one guy. So they got James Gunn being the creative visionary of it, Peter Safran being kind of the head of the production part of stuff. It's given them a lot of benefits. So. He talks about we're going to have one unified vision moving forward. He didn't say one Batman. I mean, we could still have two, but he said we're not going to have four Batman running around, all this kind of stuff. This thought that the Flash movie is just going to open up the multiverse and we're going to have 
15 different cyborgs and 12 different Aquaman and all this. You know, we're going to have a unified vision. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to do something that they've had a lot of success with, which is a few one-offs. Joker made a billion dollars, won Academy Awards. The Batman was clearly a big success. I think they're probably still going to do that. But I think the article is right. I think it looks like they're going to try to erase multiverse stuff, get more into a streamlined story, tell some one-off stories, yes, but I think this sounds really good to me. Rob, you read David Zaslav's comments. What do you take away from them? Well, I think what David Zaslav has done, what he's done is he's put two guys. He's got one guy who's a producer, take care, takes care of the money. He's got another creative visionary, puts these two, this team in place and gives them a new studio. So DC Studios is a new entity. And DC Studios is going to start, I think, fresh, anew. They're going to do what they want to do. This does not mean that Matt Reeves can't make a Batman trilogy. That's right. I think he can. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right, Matt. And as long as those movies make money, and I think James Gunn's going to be the first person to say, Matt Reeves, you go, boy. You go make your three movies. Todd Phillips, you go do Joker. If Folly Do is great, you make Joker 3. That doesn't affect our business. Shazam, Fury of the Gods, all that. Aquaman 2, Kingdom of James Wan. Hey, if that Aquaman movie makes a lot of money, we'll make a third one. They're going to end that. They're going to start, and you know what? The more I think about it, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to make either one more Aquaman movie. If it makes another billion dollars and it's great, they'll make a third one. They'll end it there. Momoa will play Lobo. They are going to start again. They are going to start. They're going to start, and they're going to keep whatever they want to keep. Maybe they want to keep Momoa's Aquaman. They can do that. They're going to move forward and create a unified for the next 10 years. Whatever's been working, they might keep Shazam. They might keep Black Adam. They're going to maybe keep Henry Cavill. Why not? Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. They're great. But they're going to reshape them into whatever their vision is. Because so far it's been visionless. But I think they know their plan. Zaslav's like, here's our plan. Because that's what he wants. Wouldn't you, as the head of a studio, you hire these two guys. Okay, guys, I don't want to wait a year. Why are we waiting a year? Let's. St- you know what you want to do. I expect what we're going to do next month. That's mm. why you're hired. You know, they don't have to sit around and go, I don't know. You think James Gunn ever goes, I don't know. No. Well, and listen, and there's no, while, while it is true that James Gunn and Peter Safran officially took the reins of this newly minted DC Studios on November 1st, I guarantee you they've known about this oh. for three months. And, and they've been plotting. That they have been planning this for months and months and months. And you think that James Gunn, when he was making Suicide Squad, did not come up with plans? Well, if I ran the DC Universe, and maybe I will, here's what I would do. <clears throat> And that's what that was the what their whole presentation was. I mean, you've already got the guy who's already producing uh in Peter Safran already doing he's got Shazam and Aquaman coming out. You know, so he's he already knows what's up. I think this is a great move. I'm excited. I just hope people here's the thing. I don't care about the DC universe. I'm gonna now think about DC. I wanna see just great movies yeah i want to see the suicide squad i want to see the peacemaker do i care if they interlink intertwine no i want to see them give me great movies and that's and listen winning cures everything that's ultimately what it's about guys question is for you what do you think about this how do you interpret david zaslav's comments here about you know the the unification of the overall thing how does that bode for like some standalone movies not for batman probably means that michael keaton isn't going to be batman for long he's probably going to appear in a couple of things and then not appear in others i don't know how do you guys feel about it whatever your thoughts are jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there 
And all right, guys, with that, we are going to skip the Super Chats today. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to have open mic a little bit later today. If you guys got some burning thoughts, questions, or opinions, come on back and join us for open mic a little bit later today. But we've run pretty long today, so we're just going to cap off the show now. Let you guys run and grab lunch, do whatever you're going to do. Guys, make sure you come back and join us for open mic a little bit later today. Also, want to let you guys know, for those of you guys who participated, and thank you for all of you who did, in our Wakanda Forever open spoiler discussion, you guys know that we didn't get through all those questions. So a little bit later today, Rob is going to do part two of the Wakanda Forever open spoiler discussion. So keep your guys' eyes open for that when we drop that online. And don't forget to come back and join us again for tomorrow's installment of the John Campia Show. So for myself and everybody in the room here, thanks so much for joining us here today, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.